All right, let's pray. Father Almighty, we come before you this morning, uh, thankful that we've made it through summer. Uh, thankful for cool mornings. Uh, thankful for the way, like, this is why we live in Tucson. This is why we live in Arizona. It's for the next six months. We'll be back to complaining, Father, in this summer. But Jesus, we come in a more serious note. We come here um, in different places. Some of us are in places of grief. Some of us are in places of just pure joy to be amongst people who love you. Some of us are like, I don't know about Jesus. I'm not so sure about this, but I'm here. Um, and some of us are just trying to hold it together in our, our minds. It's just so hard. Um, and there's a lot of anguish there. But we're here. And so... Jesus, we ask that you would honor our pursuit, that you would honor, honor our seeking, and that you would find us. Um, we acknowledge that we are, are broken people and need your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, we are here today and ask that you, as you are working out our salvation in us, that you would come on us to uh, have courage today, to, to um really focus our minds to hear your voice being spoken. Help us to push aside our anxieties, to push aside our judgment, and to really listen, and to throw out what's not true, and to hold desperately to your words to us. I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so I would like to start out today by reading you a passage that we already heard in a different translation. Um, but Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. This is Jesus in the New Testament speaking to the Pharisees who are the religious rulers of the time. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee cleaned the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. We live in a culture where we stress the idea of being authentic, right? Your authentic self. You do you and I'll do me, right? Um, what, not only that, we take on what we would call identities, right? We take on simple identities like I'm a mom or I'm a dad. We take on more complex identities in that I'm a boyfriend or a girlfriend or I'm a husband or a wife or I'm an engineer or I'm a teacher or I'm a doctor. Like we take our employment. Some of us take on the idea of we're rebellious teenagers or we're too cool for everybody else. We own those identities and they make, them, make us who we are. We wear them like clothes. But not only maybe some more positive ones like that, except for those rebellious teenagers, um, we take on negative identities to clothe ourselves and define ourselves. So the things that were hard on us, we take on, right? So maybe we call it, say to ourselves, like, well, I was abused, so I am a sexual abuse survivor, right? And we use that negative identity, in a sense, the thing that was negative, to, and we own it. Or like me, like I have a severe learning disability, so I say I am learning disabled. It's my identity. It's my clothes. It's how I want you to know who I am. It's me being authentic, right? We, we wear these things. Now, 
Jesus is talking to some people who on the outside look like their identity is that they're the religious rulers. They get things right. They know what God wants people to do and what they should do, right? And Jesus says, but inside, you're not that person. You're not really being authentic. And we're in a series on the values of the village. And the reason that we would go over the values of the village and we do this once a year, sometimes in a, in a larger series, and sometimes we just we hit all six values in one day, one service. It's just the blitz values. Um, but we're doing this partly because we're going to two services, and we want people to kind of think about things um, as to what we do and why we value those things and that kind of thing. But we've, had, we've talked about some cool values like community and creativity and the disciplines and truth. But right now, when you get to this word authenticity, it's actually, or to be authentic, it's a philosophical word. You can't define what it means to be authentic, right? If I say, well, that's a very inauthentic person, well, what does that mean? They're not real? Like, what, what is, this is an existential philosophical term, and you define it by its negative, not by what it is, because none of us know what it means to be authentic. And yet all of the world says, know thyself and be thyself. Just do it, right? As I said earlier, just do you and I'll do me, right? Be authentic. But we don't know what the heck that means, right? So that's why it's actually a value at the village. Because we think that if we're followers of Jesus, we actually know what authenticity is. And so if we know what authenticity is, that's what we have to offer the culture as a church. And that's actually what we have to offer one another as a community. We can offer each other what authenticity is. We as a church can offer authenticity to the world. And so today, what I'd like to do is take a look at a passage in Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. And I rarely speak out of Revelation, though there is much pressure that we go through Revelation, so it will probably happen in the next year or two. Um, But we're going to look at at chapter 3, and the chapter 3 is some letters to some churches. And we're going to look at the last church that Jesus talks to through the Apostle John. And the reason we're going to look at this particular passage is because Jesus, through John, wants to talk to this church about how they are not authentic, right? The thing that he wants to address in this particular church is their lack of authenticity. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of just work through this passage, and I think, hopefully, you will, by the end, understand why the village values authenticity and what your part might be in it. So verse 14 of chapter 3 of Revelation says this, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So Jesus, through the Apostle John, opens up with who he is, with his authenticity, the real Jesus. And he says, I am the Amen. Now, the word Amen is the same word that in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus uses when he says, truly, truly, I say to you. He's going to say, amen, amen, I say to you. Or um, it's, it's the word that when we 
at the end of a prayer, when we say amen, we're saying make it so. But literally the word just means true, the true. So Jesus is saying, I am the true. Like, what the word true, that's me. Like, I'm it. Like, all truth, everything, it's me. I am the amen. I'm the true. I'm the make it so. I am the so. I'm, this is me. Okay. This beginning is kind of like a dad when he's about to discipline people. He says, I'm the dad, right? When the kids are misbehaving the way, and then he's going to bring down the discipline. He says, I'm the dad. I get to save this because I'm the dad. I define all dadness. That's me, right? That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the true, okay? This is who I am. And then he says, I am a faithful and true witness. And when he says he's a faithful and true witness, is what he's saying is, is that I have the capacity to see what's going on, I am honest in the sense that I am going to explain to you exactly what's going on. And not only that, I have the capacity to lay out for you what you need to do. I'm the faithful and true witness. Again, just like a dad. I saw the two of you fighting. I'm the dad. I am capable of telling you how this is going to be, right? This is all this is. is he's, he's about to say some very hard things, and so he is offering his authentic self. I'm true. I know what I'm doing. And oh, by the way, I am the ruler of God's creation. And this is a really hard little phrase in the Greek because it, it means all creation originated from me. I am the ruler of creation and I was before creation. And so translators are trying to figure out, how do you write that into one little sentence? Um, but what he's saying is, I'm it. And again, another father thing. I created you. I brought you into existence. Whatever I have to say matters now, right? Now, if you don't hear anything about what the village believes about authenticity, right now is what, here's what I want you to hear. God is what is authentic. Jesus is what is authentic. That is the announcement there. And so what you and I are saying then, when we come and worship, is that it's not me who's authentic, actually. It's God who understands authenticity and real, right? And what we're called to do here is kind of get wrapped up in this. And I just don't want you to get lost in what he's saying. We should be a little... Like, we just read it in Revelation, and we're like, okay, so you're the God, you're the ruler of creation, you're the amen, great, so what's the next thing? No, let's, let's stop there, because this is actually important. It should terrify you a little. The risen Christ is, is making a very loud proclamation. So I just want to talk about Jesus for a moment, and so let me read to you. I don't know what I want to read to you. All right, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, where... The writer of Hebrews talks about our relationship with Jesus. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the, the Jesus who's saying, I'm it, I'm it, is the Jesus who ushers us into the kingdom of, or into the throne room of God to find grace and find mercy, right? That's, 
amazing. That's cool. That's exciting. So even though he's about to say something very difficult to us, it's the one place we can find safety and grace. And yet, if you go back to the Old Testament, you find in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, Isaiah's experience of the God of the universe. In the year the great of, the, of that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of glory. At the sound of their voice, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The same God who offers you grace and mercy is the God that Isaiah is trembling at. The angels are saying, holy, 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 who, who can't even look at God. And yet you get to come into the throne room of God because of what Christ has done for you. So when he's making these announcements of who he is and his authenticity, I am the amen, I am the true witness, the faithful witness, I am God's ruler of his creation. Like, being authentic is realizing the power and majesty of who God is. Like, that there is something intensely real and intensely heart-stopping. So, so that's who's coming to speak to the church of Laodicea, is the God who is so powerful that you and I can't imagine what it might be like to step into his throne room, to, to glimpse him. And yet, as his children, we dance in there and say, God, like my tire blew out, and I need a new tire. And he's like, I know. I'm going to get you a new tire. Like, like it, it, the mundane and the amazing and the intense and the holy all mixed up into one. This God has something to say about these people's way of interacting with him. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So, I don't know, some of you are really new to following Jesus. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time have probably heard that what's happening here is that Jesus is saying, you need to either be for me or against me, because I can use that, but I can't handle this lukewarm stuff. But I don't think that's what's being said here. Because you see, Laodicea is this little city in a valley. It's actually an amazing city in a valley. And on one side, you have the Heropolis, is where all the hot springs are. And on the other side, you have Colossae, a little higher. And it's got all the mountains with the cold water. And there's these rivers that come, just comes down. And guess what the water is like in Laodicea? It's lukewarm. So they get what he's saying. He's, he's not saying, like, hot water is good. Cold water is good. You want a cold water on a hot day. You want a hot cup of tea on a cold day. These are good things. You can use them. When you think you're going to get a good drink, like you want a soda, 
it's lukewarm, what do you do? You spit it out of your mouth. Like, you go, you know, over to Europe, and you get some beer, and it's lukewarm. You're like, what is this? They don't refrigerate their beer? This is crazy. Like, like we don't like lukewarm things. But what he's saying here is, you are so lukewarm that you make me vomit in my mouth. That's literally what the text is. Like, I feel, like I can feel the vomit in my mouth just tasting you. Because you are neither cold nor hot. There's no authenticity to you. There's no sense of purpose. Like you have lost it, right? And so you have become lukewarm and I want to spit you out. And here's what the lukewarmness is. Verse 17, it says, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. So what's the identity that they've put on themselves? Well, that they're wealthy. This is a city that when an earthquake earthquake destroyed them in 60 AD, they told the Roman government, we don't want your money. We are so rich, we'll rebuild ourselves. We don't need you. Right? These are people where when the governors and and generals want to cash their notes, like their paychecks, you go to Laodicea to get your, your paycheck cashed. Right? This is a city of wealth. And they said, I don't need anything. See, that's the clothes they have on. The identity is they're wealthy. And what's, what's the result of that? You don't need anything, right? All of our identities that we put on that have nothing to do with Christ have an impact that do something to us. They make, it, make us needy. They make us look foolish. And we are very shallow. Think about the things that you identify yourself as. We do this with our race. We're Anglo, we're Hispanic, right? And when we put that on, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a wrong thing to do to, to identify your race, but when you wear your race as an identity, well, then there's a way you describe yourself. There's a certain level of shame that comes with it or pride that comes with it, right? We do this with our jobs. Lots of us find our identity in what we do. And so when we are like, man, this is what I do, then we understand who we are that way. And what happens is when I understand myself with a false identity, there's no freedom. I'm really actually pretty shallow and relatively needy as a person. Right? Think about it with the negative ones I talked about. When say, for instance, like you say, like me, like I have some severe learning disabilities that make it very difficult for me to write. If I say I'm learning disabled, the sentence that's very easy for me to say is, I don't really need to write anything. I don't really need to work on this part of my life because you know what? I'm learning disabled. You need to work around me. Right? We do this with, you know, we're a PTSD survivor. We're a rape survivor. We're, you know, any, we're a disaster survivor. Like, we have these things. I'm not saying that these things aren't part of our story. They don't impact who we are. But you know what? When they become our primary identity, what they do is they hold people at arm's length and we, have, and we don't have an awareness of ourselves, right? We, we are, we're kind of like the Pharisees creating an image that's not real. This is what the Laodiceans did. And so Jesus, through John, tells them what happens when you do that, when they, they don't feel like they have any need. He says that you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor. You don't need to look in the Greek to figure out what those words mean. They were wretched, 
pitiful and poor, right? They were blind and they were naked. Again, Jesus, through John, understands the Laodiceans better than they understand themselves. You see, the Laodiceans, it's like New York City. They're really wealthy. Everybody comes to them. You know, it's Wall Street. That's where they, you know, they're the richest. But they're also the high point of fashion. You wear what the latest thing was in Laodicea. They design what you're wearing. It's the height of fashion, the latest Laodicean thing. You wear that. But not only that, they were amazing at fixing people's eyesight. They also did some stuff for ears. But they were famous for their eye salve that they put on their people's eyes to help them regain their sight. I don't even know if it worked, but they were famous for it. So they're famous for being wealthy. They're famous for how they dress. And they're famous for healing people of their eyesight. And so what Jesus says to the church is like, look, you, you think you have these things physically, but spiritually, you're poor. Spiritually, you know what? You're blind. Spiritually, you're naked. Right? You're, you look foolish. You think you have clothes on. You don't have any clothes on. You think you can see, but you're blind. You think you have wealth, but you have nothing. Right? You're as inauthentic as it gets. I would ask you to think about this. Think about it as in your family context. Think about it in your church context and think about it in your individual context. I would ask you to think about the identities that you have chosen to put on you where maybe you actually create, are very needy and don't know it. That you look foolish and don't know it. You're blind to maybe how they impact what you actually know. Think about the identities you wear, what they say to other people, how they act as clothing for you. So, Jesus says, hey, this is the way you are. This is, you're pitiful, you're naked, you're blind, and I'm going to tell you how to move out of it. And so he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So the first thing he says is, you need to come to me so that you can have gold that's refined in fire. I think a lot of times, one of the things that's where inauthenticity, where we're not very authentic as people who are following Jesus, is that we find grace to be very cheap. Right? Because what, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. All you need to do is say you believe and you confess your sins. That's it. And yet, grace is actually really costly. Mercy is really costly. Because what you're saying is, I am going to allow me to be stripped away so that Jesus will shine forward. And so when you and I look at the things that are painful in our life and difficult, and we begin to say, well, why is it this way? Jesus' answer is this answer. Come to me and buy what has value. And in your pain, you are going to find a fullness that you never experienced before. You're going to find a richness in my grace through the fire. right? Through the fire. We don't want to walk through the fire. But through the fire, you will find fullness of relationship with Jesus. There is another side to it. 
And so the invitation, he says, come and say, okay, I want a relationship with depth with you. I'm willing to walk through whatever is painful and face whatever struggle I have in order to experience a fullness that I haven't experienced. Then he says, but you also got to wear clothes, right? You need to clothe yourself. I think this is an important one. I don't think a lot of times when we say who we are, we offer our identities, we actually know that we're just naked and look foolish. Like, that when I say I am learning disabled, like that actually I'm not offering you my true self. I'm not offering you Jesus. I'm offering you a way of protecting myself and making excuses for myself and a way of saying that Jesus doesn't actually have any impact on this because this is who I am and it cannot be changed ever. Well, you're very naked then. You're exposed. Like, because that's just, it's, you're just naked because you've left me out of it. Right? You say, I have no power in your life. Right? And the last one is Jesus says, hey, I'll give you a salve so you can see. And I think when you and I are able to see, we're not so shallow. Right? Because what is the most narcissistic thing to do? is to look at yourself in the mirror over and over again, right? Especially if you're a teenager, that's what you do. Um, you spend your life looking in the mirror, which is a blindness. It's a, it's a narcissism, right? And really, that's what spiritual blindness looks like, is this obsession with you and with your issues and with what's going on with you and the way you look and how things are. And Jesus is saying, look, let me take this salve in your eyes, and when you open them up, guess who you're going to see? It's me and not you. Right? There, there is this way of stepping in to my authenticity by these things. I, I love the way this passage kind of works its way out, because it starts out with Jesus saying, this is who I am, here are the consequences. And like any good dad, by verse 19, he says, okay, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Like, I love you, and I'm going to discipline you, because here's what I want to see happen. It's so that you'll be earnest and repent. That you'll be earnest and repent. Here's what the life of authenticity is of a follower of Jesus. is walking through life saying, you know what, God? I was living in that identity. But your identity is one that's transformative. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I chose blindness and poverty. I'm sorry that I have chosen to be foolish and naked. Like, it's a lifetime of that. It's a constant saying, okay, God, I'm really given to being about me. I'm really given to this being my story, not yours. Jesus is saying, the reason I'm offering you this is because I want you to repent. I want you to turn. And here's why I want you to turn, because this is how authenticity happens. It says, verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Eating dinner, eating with someone in, in the first century is one of the most intimate things you can do. You don't eat dinner like we do now. Everybody kind of lounges around. Like dinner takes a long time to prepare and a long time to eat. And so what he's saying is, when you repent and you hear my voice, 
I will come and eat with you. And so you will become authentic. And you know how you'll become authentic? Because people will see you and your story will be the dinner with Jesus. Your story will be so much built up around the intimacy with God that they'll be like, oh my gosh, Eric is authentic. Why is he authentic? Because he's Jesus. Like I taste Jesus when I'm with Eric. I taste Jesus when I'm with Mark. He wants to cross. I taste Jesus. He's living by. This is important. Like authenticity, the reason the village values it is that we want when people come in to taste Jesus, not us. Man, we are messed up because all of us are still like are wrestling with our political identities, our you know sexual identities. Our I mean, we can go down the list of the identities that we mess with. And like when we come here, what we're trying to say is, God, like we don't want those to define us. We want Jesus to define us. We want Jesus to define us. So when people come together here and they're like, man, that church is authentic, not because they cook dinner and have couches and sing weird music and and everybody seems to talk about what's deeper and underneath the surface and they're weird. Like, that's not that's not authentic. That's just because maybe we're a little weird. What we want people to taste is Jesus and the transforming power in our life. Because we want them to be like, man, they eat with dinner. They do eat with dinner, but they would eat with Jesus. And I want to eat with them while they eat with Jesus. Like, that's why we say, hey, we value authenticity. And, and he ends his little thing. This is all to all the six churches. But he says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on this throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If we go back to what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees, you can't be authentic if you aren't willing to look inside and really ask, what defines me? Is it Jesus who defines me? Is it my relationship with Jesus that defines me? Or is it all these things that have happened to me? Or is it the things that I've tried to attain to? Or is it, and you can fill in the blank, is it my need to see justice happen? Right? Whatever it is, is that what's defining me? How people perceive me? Or is it Jesus who's defining me? Right? Because what is going to be truly experienced as authentic on the outside is when internally you're transformed by God. And so I think to end with a Greek, you know, the Oracle of Delphi says, know thyself, right? Agreed with Jesus. You need to know what you're wearing in order to repent. And so the invitation today, when we say as a church we value authenticity, is to kind of process what Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea and say, okay, Where am I needy and poor? Where have I been blind? Where do I need to repent? What am I wearing? And then I would encourage you today as you eat to say to whoever you're eating with, you know what? I need to repent of this. Like this is a place where I kind of find my identity and it's not in Jesus. Find it in my strength because I'm young and I'm an athlete. I find it in, let me go down the list. That's my invitation is 
to step into that first thing that Jesus offers you is to repent, to earnestly say, this is where I'm at. This is what I need to walk away from. So I have a few minutes to discuss authenticity with you. Does anybody have any questions? Yes. Kelsey, comes the mic. So, um, it's been 10 years since my accident, and I'm paralyzed from the waist down. And I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about who I am as a disabled person and what that should look like, how I should offer to other people out of that. I mean, so when you talk about identity, like, I mean, what does that look like to offer that in a good way? I mean, because, you know, I am disabled. Yes, I literally are. am. So, you know, it's like, what, what, right. what does that look like? Um, right. I mean, and, and, I mean, this is not similar, but at least philosophically similar. I'm a man and I can't change that. Right? Like, I'm a man. I mean, some people might argue I can, but I can't. Like, I, I can't. I'm a man. These are things that I can't change. You're disabled, and it seems at this point you can't change that, right? But, but what we tend to do is that you say that you are a disabled person who happens to be a Christian. That I happen to be a man who happens to be a Christian. And that's not the order that I'm arguing for. I'm just arguing for the other order. That your identity doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you're disabled or that I'm a man. Because if you remember last week, we talked about how the, that the manifest wisdom of or the manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated in the church by the fact that there is no more Greek or Jew, male or female, free or slave. But that, you and I are together. We're in Christ. Now, you are disabled, and the way that you live out your authentic self in Christ has to do with your story as somebody who is disabled. But that's not your identity. That doesn't make you valuable or less valuable. Or, and it's not something that can control the way you demand people. Like, you can't demand out of it that people will, will live around you a certain way. So, I mean, would you say that it's like something that can shape the way we offer Jesus to other people? Yes, I would say that. Yeah. Anybody else? Up oh, in the back corner. Um, it strikes me that the the things that were happening with the Laodiceans, the, their identities apart from Christ had to do with arrogance. And I wonder if uh, looking for our own places of arrogance might be a good flag for what is uh, a negative identity or an identity that is rooted outside of Christ. Yes, I would agree. I think, yes, when, and maybe not just your arrogance, but when you imagine losing that or people minimizing it, what your reaction to it is, is also good. Anybody else? Thoughts? Questions? Going once, going twice. All right. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being authentic and for inviting us into that in a rich way. I just ask that you would bless um, the food that we're going to eat, the music we sing, or the, the songs that we sing, and the time that we spend at your table and the time that we spend confessing. I ask that in your holy name. Amen.